telling you, that music gets me going every time. Same here. I smile every time I hear that music. It is. It's like got this like <laughs> funk bass to it, like boom, 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 whatever. It's pretty good. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Bill Vitiello. I'm the Director of Institutional Relationships and the Director of Marketing for the Victory Bank in Limerick. Thank you so much for joining this episode of Chamber Chat Live here with the Tri-County Area Chamber of Commerce. So you see on a split screen with me is Eileen. Eileen is from the Chamber. So Eileen, hello. Hello, Bill. Hello. Are you doing the President's Desk today? Is that why you're present? I am. I would like to talk today about an upcoming event that we have at the end of the month. So I wanted to get on today, not only share the information with our chamber membership, uh, but also those additional people who receive uh, views of this uh, video. I wanted them to be aware of this event as well. It's for our REACH group. REACH is not membership based, so you don't have to be a member to participate in our REACH programming, which uh, REACH is empowering and connecting women, uh, our group, uh, through the chamber. Nice. So uh, when is that happening? So we are having the first ever annual half-day conference on uh, Tuesday, June 29th. Uh, this will be our second in-person event. Uh, as we talked about before, our, uh, June 16th, next week, we have our first uh, return to in-person. This will also be a strictly in-person event. We're not doing a hybrid model. Uh, so we are looking forward to getting as many uh, attendees at Sunnybrook Ballroom for a great day, half day of uh, lunch, networking, relationship building, and some great speakers. Well, Sunnybrook Ballroom is uh, plenty big. So if there's any yes. concerns about social distancing, <laughs> uh, that would be the place that you could social distance. So yes, definitely not a problem. Yeah, so. it's, you know, it's exciting to hear that the chamber is getting back to in person. I was just having a coffee with somebody this morning and we were talking about Tri-County Chamber. We were talking about some other chambers as well. But sure. um, I was uh, excited when I told him I was like, yeah, I'm actually going to my first in-person chamber event uh, soon. So uh, yes. he was, he was, he's also a potential member, by the way. So I'll okay. talk, talk to you one off on that. Um, that would be great. Yeah. But uh, he was asking about the different types of programming and everything. And I was excited to share with him and also share with him the opportunity to be on Chamber Chat Live. So uh, for sure. Yeah. I think all of us are looking forward to getting back together again and uh, kind of sharing stories and what we learned over the last year, what some of our challenges were, but also what some of our successes may have been as well, so. Well, and we're hoping this event is a success. It was supposed to be June of 2020. Um, we are bringing in a national uh, speaker, Sylvie DeGusto. Uh, she has written a book. You can find out her bio and her information on our website. Uh, I'm actually also getting ready. She's on a family vacation, um, but, true speaking professional she sent me a video to share with uh, our attendees as well as those who aren't yet registered so we'll be putting that out on social media uh, so we're anxious for everybody that's coming we'll get a copy of her book uh, she'll be our keynote closing speaker uh, very active uh, engaging presentation on promoting your potential and become your best advocate uh, so we think it's a, a great day we've got three other speakers lined up um, again, all of their information is on the website, uh, and we look forward to just really getting as many people in attendance for a great afternoon as we can. Yeah, absolutely. So folks, check your calendar. Uh, what was that date again? The 29th, you said? Tuesday, June 29th. We'll start Tuesday. at 1130. Uh, we'll conclude 
Uh, speaking will be about 4.30, 5 o'clock, but then we will have a cocktail reception that if those uh, who are interested may hang around for a little bit uh, and continue to network. Nice. Nice. All right, good. Well, folks, check your calendar for June 29th, uh, starting midday there and going through the afternoon. Some good, good programming provided by the chamber. So, Eileen, thank you. Do you have anything else? Sorry, I didn't mean to... I just wanted to share that information. Uh, I'll pop on to Facebook myself uh, and I can put a link to the registration page uh, in the comments and that way anybody listening has easy access uh, to see uh, see the information about the event. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Are you signing off? There you go. I was waiting. (laughs) I was waiting to see if you needed a prompt or not, but you're getting pretty good at this. So I'm getting there. Yeah. So thanks, thank, Bill. You're welcome. Yeah, it's our it's our pleasure. Thank you again for allowing us to do this. Bye bye. So as you know, folks, we always like to have some really great guests, and today is absolutely no exception. Uh, my guest today is from the American Red Cross, and her name is Jennifer Graham. So Jennifer, welcome to Chamber Chat Live. How are you? I'm doing well, Bill. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, it's it's our pleasure. It's it's so nice to meet you. We've never met in person before, um, which is always a great opportunity because, first of all, I get to meet new people, but then our chamber constituency gets to meet uh, you as well. So uh, again, welcome to the chamber and welcome to Chamber Chat. Thanks very much. I appreciate being here and we're really thankful to be part of the chamber. We are new members of the chamber and so far Eileen and her team have been phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for those compliments because they really are. They really are. Uh, So Jennifer, tell me what your role is with the American Red Cross, please. Sure. Uh, I am the executive director of the Delaware Valley chapter that serves Montgomery, Chester and Delaware counties and is part of our southeastern Pennsylvania region of the American Red Cross. We are located in Westchester, Pennsylvania, but uh, you know a lot of the work that we do is mobile. So we are out in the field a lot, uh, even amidst uh, a pandemic and the disaster strikes, the Red Cross still is there to support those families and households in need. Uh, and we have been in our new location for uh, since January. So our, our office has, has been not open, open since January, but we've been in that location since January and are really just trying to get back out into the community a little bit more and, and really share what we have to offer to the community. Yeah, so I think when when most folks think of the American Red Cross, they probably think of blood donations maybe, um, yes. but I know you guys are so much more. So, <laughs> so take, take it wherever you wanna go with it. Um, I think we'd be anxious to hear all the other services that the Red Cross provides. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and, and yes, I've been with the Red Cross for 22 years and the first 20 were in blood services, biomedical. And, um, you know, when people think of the Red Cross, they think of first blood and flood, right? They think of the, the ongoing need for blood products, which is every day and constant and large scale and small scale disasters. Your, your neighbor unfortunately has a fire or there's flooding or large scale disasters, which we saw this past year, which were unprecedented. Um, but there's a lot more that we do in addition to that. And those two are, are tremendously uh, important and relevant programs. Every two seconds, someone needs blood. And every eight minutes, someone in the US, US is impacted by a disaster. So, you know, those are two critical elements of things that we do. Uh, and to support that that triage of response, right, are, are what we have are these bookend programs, which are readiness and recovery. So what can we do to support families and communities before disaster strikes. And then 
post-event, what do we offer to support those families and communities? So, you know, when the when the fire is out or the flooding is gone, you know, we're, we're not leaving. We are still there in the community to make sure that those community members have the resources that they need to move forward. Yeah, and, and quite often you guys are some of the first people that are on the scene right next to first responders. It It's always been impressive to me, I know. So I live in North Coventry Township. And um, last year, there was the big fire at the Ashwood Apartments. And I think you guys were one of, again, one of the first on the scene. You pretty much drop what you're doing and get to the scene as quickly as possible to provide relief. So can you can you tell me a little bit about how that works, how the communication flows, and I guess how you determine who goes where and what you bring to give us sure. a little insight to that? Yes, and, and a lot of that response, most of that response is managed through our volunteer workforce. 90% of our staff is volunteer, which is That's impressive. Incredible. And incredible. incredible. And, and honestly, one of the best hallmarks of our organization, we're 140 years strong this year, and it was all created and started by volunteers and is really the continued backbone of what we do every single day. So for, for disasters, for a you know single house fire or, or response, during the pandemic, we shifted a little bit for everybody's safety our volunteer workforce, those that are being impacted by disaster. And a lot of what we did was virtual. Um, you know, but we were still there to support those families. We still worked with first responders to make sure that those families had what they needed. Uh, and then post-event, making sure that they were able to recover uh, in a manageable way. Um, for a larger scale disaster, we have uh, volunteers that are on call at all times that are able to and have provided us the opportunity to call them in the middle of the night if need be to say, okay, it's time to go. Um, those volunteers, there's hundreds of different positions, everything from the back office work of logistics and planning and, and resources and equipment to on site. You know, what are we doing to provide comfort and support the first responders who are truly there doing all the big work? We're there to support the county and first responders um, with their roles. And then post-event, we have a lot of volunteers who are caseworkers that are supporting those families. Do they have somewhere to stay? What is their long-term plan? Um, do they need disaster mental health resources? Do they need help getting you know, their medications or they lost their keys? Whatever it might be, it isn't just that blanket and a cup of coffee in the middle of the night. It extends far beyond that um, to make sure that you know, there, there is um, a continuity of, of opportunity and resources for those families. So, so what part in your experience, what part is most challenging for folks that are affected by some sort of um, tragedy? Is it when you're right in the moment there or is it the, the time afterwards? What's, That's uh, what's a really great experience? question. And I think it would probably vary from person to person uh, and from family to family. I think some of them, you know, if um, I, I've gone to some of those, those larger ones I was at, at, at Coventry, um, I think there's just sort of that, that, uh, that shock right? In, the, in that initial moment of what do I do right now? And then, you know, most people kind of go through those five stages of, of grief, right? You know, that first that, that disbelief and that shock and that anger, and then what's next? Uh, so I would say that probably for each family or each individual, it might be a little bit different. Uh, I think for some families, it's after the initial shock wears off, it's what's next. And yeah. again, our casework team is really there to, to support those efforts. And, and also there's amazing resources throughout the county. There's county services, there's 211, you know, a lot of, of, of resources available to support families in a myriad of ways. 
Yeah, and you're right. I guess it would vary from person to person and even whatever the tragedy might be. Some, I don't want to say it would be easier to handle than others, but some, you know, you may be able to see clear. Um, but can we go to the front end of it too? Because I know you do a lot with preparing individuals and I think you work with businesses as well um, about assessing and preparing for emergencies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And this is probably one of my favorite things to talk about is what can we do to prepare families and communities before disaster strikes so that, you know, if something were to occur, they have the toolkit and resources to navigate through as best as possible. Um, we have amazing programs for households, for schools, for corporations, for community organizations uh, to really help them navigate through if they were faced with a fire, a flood, a pandemic, whatever it may be. Um, starting from um, uh, at family level, we have an amazing program for school-aged children. It's called Preparing with Pedro, and then our Pillowcase Project. And these are opportunities for volunteers, trained volunteers, to go into school environments and really talk to kids in an age-appropriate level about how to prepare for an emergency. Um, it really talks about the emotional intelligence of how to manage through a situation, which I think is great. It provides um, children with uh, a workbook for preparing with Pedro and for the pillowcase project for the older kids, third through fifth grade, they actually get a tangible fabric pillowcase to take home to put their emergency items in. So in case they need to, to leave in the middle of the night or there's a flood, uh, if there's a fire, you don't grab that pillowcase, you just go. But you know, what are the tools and, and items they can put in there to make them feel better through, through an emergency? Um, and then it provides an opportunity to have a conversation at home with your family, right? So, you know, taking what you learned in school, bringing it back home and, and maybe with your family, um, going through an emergency plan, making a fire escape plan, making sure you've got working smoke detectors in your home. Uh, all of those things are amazing. So it really starts at the kindergarten level, which I really, I really value the Red Cross for really taking that mission all the way down to our youngest generation to make sure that they have the resources they need. And the Red Cross and other organizations will always be there to support them. And and when you start them that young, they almost learn it for life, right? Yes, you know, yes, you hope so. Yes, my my four year old the other day, we were, we were pulling up into the driveway, and he told me he said, "This is our emergency spot, the mailbox." You know, if there's ever an emergency, this is where we meet. And uh, I felt good about that. I really did. But, you know, it it, it it wasn't until I had actually experienced that pillowcase project and preparing a pager myself that I realized how critical that is to share that information. Um, you know, as you go into our older, older generations for our middle schoolers and high schools, we have Red Cross clubs, which really tackle lots of local, um, national, even international support. Um, and we all then have with organizations and families and companies our Be Red Cross Ready and our Home Fire Campaign, where we work a lot with local fire departments to install free smoke alarms and provide home safety education to families uh, in the community. Well, we're, we're only 15 minutes in and there's so much that uh, Red Cross offers. I would <laughs> encourage everyone to jump on the Red Cross website. Drew uh, just brought that up uh, just a few moments ago. Uh, so much, so many resources on that website, including what we were talking about earlier with volunteering. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the volunteer experience? So let's say I'm just, I'm Bill Vitiello and I want to volunteer for the Red Cross. I don't know exactly where my skill set lies. I just know I want to help out. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of maybe um, interviewing me or finding out what my skill set and how that would relate to the Red Cross? I'm so glad that you asked that question uh, because I, I want to make sure that I touched on that as well. 
Uh, there is a volunteer opportunity for everybody. And I will tell you that um, when I was in biomed and I wanted to become a disaster volunteer myself, I wasn't sure even what that meant. So I, I followed the channels. I went to redcross.org, filled out a questionnaire, was contacted by a volunteer engagement representative that really helped me hone in what my skill set was, what I wanted to do, what I think I might be interested in, what time I had to give, uh, and really kind of walked me through the building blocks and, and the first steps of, of becoming a Red Cross volunteer. Um, I really applaud our volunteer services team for making sure that we find the right fit for every volunteer. There are literally hundreds of volunteer positions across every line of service. So if somebody wants to do more with our volunteer services or operations or logistics or disaster, home fire campaign, uh, service to armed forces, <clears throat> excuse me, special events, there's something for everybody. There really is. And uh, it all starts just going to redcross.org and it says become a volunteer. You just click on that and uh, put in your zip code, fill out some information, and we will be in touch with you <laughs> to figure so, out what's going to be the best fit. So that so that's what I'm hearing. I'm I'm hearing that you're you would be very flexible with a volunteer schedule. It's not like if uh, I don't know, I'm just I don't even know if this is a thing. If you're gonna be somebody who works the phones that you have to do it for 10 hours a week on this particular day and this particular time, right? You have no. some flexibility with- Absolutely flexibility. Um, you know, there are some positions that require a little bit more time, um, you know, or, or less time. It, it really is based upon your a volunteer's um, request to make sure they have a good, meaningful experience. You know, we can't have 90% of our volunteer, of our workforce be volunteers um, if they aren't satisfied in their role and happy with what they're doing. And, and truly, every single day across every line of business, the amount of hours our volunteers put in is just phenomenal. That's great. Could you possibly share with us a uh, success story that I think really uh, is close to you? One that you think often. So when you're, you obviously you see a lot, you see a lot with the Red Cross, but there has to be a story or a situation or two that really connects with you either emotionally or uh, experience wise. Um, Cause I want folks to hear the impact of what you guys do. So is there something that stands out for you that you would be kind enough to share? with everyone? Absolutely. Um, 22 years in, I've got a couple of different moments. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, what I will say is that regardless of the experiences or the situation, um, the Red Cross mission is always present, right? Our, our job is to alleviate human suffering. And, um, it's been evident in every single thing that I've experienced personally. Uh, I'll give you two quick ones. Um, sure. One is um, there was two years ago, right outside of Downingtown, another apartment fire. And I had just switched over to humanitarian services from Biomed. And it was two o'clock in the morning and it happened to be the apartment complex that my sister had lived in previously. So I pulled mm -hmm. up and I already had all these emotions thinking, oh my goodness, here I am somewhere I've been before. And now I'm looking at this structure that is completely gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I walked into the to the leasing office where all these families uh, were and and the fire chief uh, was talking to all the families about what was going on and next steps. And I I opened up the door and I just got hit with this wall of smoke. And there were families in there in their pajamas. Some people didn't have shoes on. They were just had blankets around them. Um, and it was um, very humbling to see all these families just really process everything that was happening, to see the support of the first responders and to see our volunteers quickly go into action and sit down with every single family individually, 
talk through the next steps and be a source of comfort for them. That was tremendous to me. Never forget it. Hmm. The other is the continuous need for blood products. Um, my mother-in-law recently has had to receive platelet transfusions. Platelets are one of the products you, you give when you give a regular donation of blood or you can give platelets specifically. They only have a shelf life of five days. And she had been in the hospital and the hospital was frantically looking for a platelet unit for her. And the blood supply is in a precarious situation. It's been up and down throughout the pandemic, but we really kind of are struggling right now. As a matter of fact, we're going on an appeal for, for type O blood specifically. But I remember talking to the hospital and they're saying, we're just waiting for that unit to come in. And it's it's not available as of yet. We're working with other hospitals to have it come in. And the Red Cross worked with their hospital partners, the 130 hospitals we're connected to right here in this area to make sure that my mother-in-law had that platelet transfusion that she needed um, at the 11th hour. And I, I won't forget that either. Yeah. So again, uh, over after 22 years, you see quite a bit. And it's uh, interesting to hear your perspective and which moments kind of impact you the most. Um, are you from the area originally or? I am. I was born in Delco, uh, then lived in Chester County and, and Bucks County. Actually, I've lived in all five counties in southeastern Pennsylvania. Okay. But nice. right now I'm in, I'm in Chester County um, and I, I actually moved back into my childhood home. So uh, with my family, um, my, my husband and my, and my kids and, and our dog. So uh, I'm, I'm very much southeastern Pennsylvania born and bred and, and so proud to be here. Nice. Very nice. Well, we just have a few moments left. Is there anything else you'd like to share, Jennifer, with the audience before we go? We do have one other program that I do want to share just quickly on because I, a lot of Take people when they think of the, of the Red Cross don't always um, recognize this line of service that we have. And it's our service to armed forces branch. Um, we work with um, enlisted and veterans all the way through the process from the moment they are deployed until they are a veteran. And while we don't have an active military base in this area, we do have 70,000 veterans that live in southeastern Pennsylvania. And we offer a lot of resiliency workshops to veterans and their families to make sure that they have what they need to um, emotionally manage through any crisis that they're dealing with. We work a lot with the local VA. We work a lot with other partner uh, veterans organizations. But it's really a, an amazing program that we have with our service to armed forces and international services uh, branch of, of, of business that um, doesn't get highlighted a lot. So certainly you can find out more information through our website about our service to armed forces and programs that we offer to veterans and their families uh, through the redcross.org slash Philly website again. Awesome. And I, we're going to put your contact information. Again, there's Great. the website down below there. We're going to put your contact information in the notes so folks can reach out to you. Absolutely. You know, maybe, maybe they're on the website and they're like, you know what, I just need to talk to someone. That's uh, fine. I'm always available. Yeah, yeah. So they have an opportunity to chat with you, but uh, thank you so much for coming on today. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. It was so nice to meet you. And, and again, a huge shout out to the chamber. This is a great opportunity uh, to really uh, connect with the community. And, um, you know, again, I applaud Eileen and her team for having this. This is this is a great way to to kind of help other organizations tell their story. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. And we hope you share it uh, with, you know, anybody else who you feel would benefit from the conversation. But I look forward to meeting you in person yeah. sometime soon. And, uh, you know, until we connect, all my best, okay? Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this episode of Chamber Chat Live. My name is Bill Vitiello. I'm the Director of Institutional Relationships and the Director of Marketing for the Victory Bank. And until we connect again, all my best. Bye for now.